All right, now we're live. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to probably get some interruptions today. Oh, it's okay. There's nothing in here. Can I see? There's nothing in here. Oh. Plus, as long as I hit record on the board, we're good. Okay. All right. So let me see here. Let me get started. That is not the right music. Wait a second. Uh. Silas, go upstairs and get your tablet so I can turn it on for you so you can do that while I'm on here. And do you have to go potty? Okay, so we're going to start this one without music because uh, <laughs> he didn't change out the music on the board. So uh, <clears throat> sometimes it be like that. It does, and you just got to roll with it, okay? Exactly. <laughs> so uh, welcome to Reclaiming the Images Out Black. I am your host, uh, Kareem J. Daniels, and today my uh, guest is author, Christelle, is it Crystal or is it Crystal? Christelle. Christelle, the second. Christelle Patterson. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, Berkeley educated. Did I read that correctly? Yeah, I went to UC Berkeley. I studied um, industrial engineering and operations research. It's a mouthful. <laughs> so, I'm an engineer <laughs> by so, education. By education. By education. <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. So how did we get from engineer to children's author? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I, I chose to study engineering. I'm a first generation college student like most of us. And so I chose to study engineering because A, I was always really good at math and science. And then B, um, I did my research and I saw that it was one of the, the tracks where you don't necessarily need like a secondary degree to go work and make a decent amount of money. So that I was being strategic with that because um, I also don't like being in school <laughs> for a long period of time. <laughs> um, and I never actually thought, um, you know, writing would be something that I would pursue. I mean, Everybody that goes to school has to take like humanities courses or English and certain courses like that. And I've always been a good writer. Like I've always been really good at poems and stuff, but it was never something that I derived passion from or fulfillment. Like, oh, I really love doing this. I must keep doing it. But it wasn't until like I actually started doing it um, recently that I realized that I actually love doing it. And it's because of the reason why I was doing it. So when George Floyd was murdered, um, my son, who was eight at the time, was asking a lot of questions. And he asked me one day, 
why did the police keep killing black people? And that led to a lot of realization with me, like just trying to answer that question. And um, literature or just stories was one of the ways I discovered could kind of help him see something different. Cause I was really wondering like, why did he ask me that question? Is he actually thinking that that could be him? You know, it was a question that was really haunting me in, in a sense. And, you know, when I was reading, like doing the bedtime routine with him and his younger brother, and we were reading, it just something clicked in my head that like, you know, the story that I'm reading right now to them is really memorable because like my three-year-old has it mem memorized and it's memorable because of how the story is told. It's told in a rhyming pattern. Um, it's it's rep repetitive, you know, and it's fun. And I'm like, this story's gonna stick with them. And then my head went back to my older son asking me that question a few a few nights before. And I'm like, well, what what if in my head, like literally I'm reading to them and my mind is like running its own race, you know, th thinking about all these things. And I'm like, what if there were, you know, stories that showed, you know, black people in a successful light, a positive light, showed our images or whatever. Um, and it was tying back to a real person, like drawing inspiration from real people so that kids could see positive outcomes of our, our people. Um, what if there were stories like that, but not just that, stories that were told in a fun way that would be memorable so that it, I could kind of plant a seed in a young child's mind so that as they grow up, they see the possibilities that they can be. And I that doesn't stop the police from killing black people, but it's something else for them to focus on, right? Because the media, we're seeing so much of this and it's horrible, you know? And it would be nice for kids to see something else on an everyday basis, knowing that 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 is a sad outcome, but look at these other outcomes that could be me as well, you know? So I, I decided right in that moment, you know what? I'm gonna try to take a stab at writing some some stories just like that. And I literally jumped on it and, and kicked them out super fast because I was so excited about it. And I'm like, I'm going to start writing some stories. I kind of spoke to some people about it and I just committed to it. And before you knew it, I was publishing a book, my first book. And I'm like, yay, I'm an author now. And surprisingly, as much as I never thought I would be an author or a writer, I never derived any type of fulfillment from it because of the way I stumbled across writing in this sense. I actually now really, really enjoy it. And in fact, I actually think it's my purpose. You know, I think that's the reason why I'm here. So it's kind of strange, but yeah, that's how I, a Berkeley grad engineering came to be an author. Okay. So Crystal, I just wanted to tell you that, your answer to my first question really just summed up the whole purpose of this podcast. <laughs> you know, I find myself being very long-winded when somebody asks me a simple question. <laughs> no, it, it's it. No, it's not. It, it, it's not, look. It's not a critique or a criticism at all. You simply, you just, you just put into words the whole essence of the reason why I started this podcast. Wow, which was to present images to us that we're not used to. Right. And to give our kids and even adults something else to inspire, aspire to. Right. Right. So thank you for that. Cause now mm -hmm. I can go back to this, that, to that portion and pull it out and say, 
anybody that asks as a question about why I do the podcast, mm-hmm. like Crystal just answered that question for you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I knew when I saw you, I, ne- I had to have you up here for a reason. And that was the reason mm-hmm. as well as to promote what you're doing, because mm-hmm. I love it. And I want um, the other purpose is to be able to help people like you get their message out uh, to help to let us tell our stories in our own words, not to be filtered by somebody else and not to be told how to tell our stories by anybody else. So um, kudos to you. And then the other thing, the fact that you're a Berkeley grad with an engineering background is is icing on the cake. Because especially women, our girls need to know that those are possibilities for them as well. Right. So talk a little bit about, you know, your engineering. I I don't want to we're going to come back to the the kids stuff, but I wanted to talk about your engineering some so that they get a sense of what it takes to be an engineer. And it's, it's specific to your field because. I worked in the uh, I worked in the county uh, public works department, amongst many other things that I've done. So I have a I've come across a broad range of engineers. So let's talk, so talk specifically about talk about engineering, then specifically about what your your engineering. Yeah, yeah. So the way I look at at engineering is, um, you know, it's kind of like the subject matter of just solving problems, right? Whether it's a physical problem, right? Like a bridge is needing to be, you know, stable for you to drive over it, or whether it's more of like a, like a, a, a money problem or like a, a manufacturing problem, like it can, it's, it's so broad, right? So um, I, I just see engineers as problem solvers. Um, my specific field is industrial engineering and operations research. Um, and so the take the first part, just industrial engineering. And I'll tell you why I went into that engineering, because like I said, when I was applying to um, college, I was the first generation. Um, I was going to be a first generation um, college student. And I didn't actually know too much about engineering. I just knew you had to be good at math. You had to be good at science. Um, And then as I was applying, I was filling out the application. It had all these choices. Like, okay, I wanted to be an engineer, but like it's civil engineering, mechanical engineering, industrial engineering. Like it it was so many. It's like a a chemical engineering. It's just so many, so many. And I was like, I I don't know which one I want to be. And so some schools allows you to kind of Um, say undeclared engineering. Not all of them did. And Berkeley was one of those schools. So that was helpful to me because I'm like, I'd rather just go there and figure it out first and then decide what I want to major in. So I chose to major in undeclared engineering. And then when I came into the school and I started doing a lot of research on it, I realized that, you know, I want to do the engineering that is the least technical engineer. (laughs) Um, I hope I'm not offending any industrial engineers, but um, industrial engineering is more like a people and process engineering, right? It's not, it sounds like it would be around, around industries, but it's really people and process. How do you optimize things? How do you make something more efficient? If you have a supply chain and something's not quite working right, how do you optimize that supply chain so you're getting the best 
throughput from it, you know, uh, or if a, a um, you know, um, a company is just having um, like a, a problem where they need to kind of redesign something, like we can figure out how to do that. So it's, it's broad, but it's more around people, processes. And so it actually ended up being, I, I think I chose right because it led perfectly into my career um, working for the company that I do because I do technology consulting and technology consulting is all about helping our clients solve their their problems, right? From a technology standpoint, if they have certain um, certain things that they're, they're trying to modernize, you know, I, we go in and help them figure out what can solve the problem that they're trying to solve through technology. And a lot of that is not is not just the technology. You have to solve the processes around the technology. You have to account for the people who are working the technology and all that. So I chose the right engineer to land at the job that I landed at. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I hope that it's very hard to explain what I do to my family and friends. So hopefully that made some sense. Um, every time th there's a running joke in consulting world that like our families don't understand what we do. Like, yes. <laughs> I actually, um, when I was coming out of high school, engineering was one of the things that I was considering. So I know that long list that you're talking about, it's huge. Um, yeah, it, it, and I was thinking about being an aerospace engineer at the time because my dad had been in the Air Force and uh, one of my brothers had gone in the Air Force. So I was like, oh, aerospace engineering. So it was so I went through that long list and I was like, hey, I'm going to stay at the top with aerospace. <laughs> it's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. Too many choices. And they were like, what if I pick wrong? What if I pick this and I really want to do that? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. crazy. Yeah, I, I have another brother that has an engineering degree and he does R&D, okay. research and development. Yeah. So Yeah, that's uh, the thing about engineering. You can have an engineering degree and pretty much work anywhere because it's the skills that you learn in being an engineer, the way you solve problems. Um, you know, that's that can be applied to any job, right? So you can study and get an engineering degree, but you can end up working anywhere you i know um a close friend of mine she studied engineering she worked for a consulting company shortly after but then she went off and got a law degree and now she's doing like patent law and stuff like that you know so you can you can end up anywhere with an engineering degree man i love it um when you were talking about the process of you coming to you coming to the through the process of writing the book i could see the engineer engineering wheels turning while you were explaining the process. I was like, oh, she did that like an engineer. <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> like she broke it down like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um it's an innate part of us once you once you study to be an engineer. Yeah. And so the other thing um to get back to the conversations you had to have with your eight year old during that uh when he when he asked you that question. Uh, that's a heavy question to come from an eight-year-old, and but it's another reminder that they're always they are always watching, yes, and, and um, picking up things that we uh, we're not we're not necessarily aware that they are aware of. Life might are so cold because it was in the fridge, Why? and I did warn you guys that I would have some interruptions. Sorry. Yes, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. So you were saying that it's a tough question for. Um, it's a heavy question for an eight-year-old. Um, is this the, so? What were you thinking when 
when you asked her that question? Um, you know, I was trying to figure out how do I answer this question. Okay, you can't you can't talk over me, okay? I was thinking, how do I answer this question and not make it in a way where he doesn't end up like being afraid of and like fearful of police officers? Um, but at the same time, how do I be real with him? That's why it was tough because I had my own feelings about the situation and I have my own way that I now view police officers um, and interact with them and stuff. And, you know, I don't want my eight-year-old son out there in the streets, like just thinking that like police officers are evil and stuff, you know? So it's, it's like, a, it was a very hard question. So I said, um, you know, I, I kind of answered it from um, Chauvin's point of view. I said, you know, sometimes some of these police officers um, feel like someone they're in danger. They feel like they're in danger. So they, you know, they act without thinking through a situation. They act from a place of fear. And that unfortunately is what happened in this situation. And unfortunately for us black people, um, some for some reason, our, our skin color makes them even more scared. Um, and that was a hard part because I said that and I was like, what was I supposed to tell him that part? <laughs> you know, like, um, but you know, he, he was like, okay. He's like, but, but they shouldn't do that. You know, why, why do they keep doing that? They shouldn't do it. Like, and he was just trying to process it. You know, I just gave him a hug and kind of left it there. Cause I didn't know what else to say. Uh, Talib Kweli has a song called, um, uh, I can't remember the name of the song now, but it's one of my favorite songs by him. And he talked about, uh, having to have that conversation with his kid who's about I think it was eight years old. Uh because he wants he said he wants his kid to grow up thinking cops is cool. Right. Uh, so and I actually have a I have another brother who's a police officer. Uh and so I have to have conversations around policing knowing him as a person. Right. And knowing that uh the way the way we were raised, it's it's uh, and knowing and I'm a, like a podcast. I'm like a uh, uh, criminal podcast junkie, like a, a innocence project uh, project. Uh, I've been following them for over twenty years, so I've read so much about the mis mis uh, character miscarriage carriage of justice by police officers. And it's kind of a hard, uh, it's a hard ba balancing act with it. Because um, mm -hmm. uh, like, I, like I know what he does. He does a lot of community interaction. Right. And, and that's and the way that, and the way that he deals with people. But mm -hmm. I know that not everyone deals with people the way that he does. No, it's very so. confrontational most of the times and, you know, causes it to escalate. Yeah. And my husband, um, he's an attorney and he deals with a lot of um, civil cases where police officers, you know, maybe fired their gun at someone, shot somebody or just violated somebody's rights, you know. And he his biggest thing. And I like when he talks to the kids about this stuff, his biggest thing is just make it home alive. Like and, and not saying that sometimes some of the victims have done anything at all to get shot, but his thing is, you don't have to talk back. Yes, sir. Even if you feel like they're wrong as heck, you can at least you focus on making it home and then 
find an attorney to then go, you know, follow up on the situation. Right. But try to make it home. You don't have to resist. You don't have, you know, we know, we know that you feel like your rights are being violated, but in that moment, your priority shouldn't be to protect your rights. It should be to make it home alive. Right. And so that's what he tells everyone. Um, when he talks to them, he always talks to my older son about just respecting authority. You know, you don't have to talk back, just be quiet and take it in. Even if you think it's not fair, because at the end of the day, your life is what matters the most. Right. And you, you got to make it home. You got to make it home. Thankfully you got a daddy who's a, who's a civil rights attorney. He'll get them. <laughs> Let him in. <laughs> you just make it home, you know. And he's this is this is a nine year old a boy, but you know it's it's weird that you have to talk to them about that because you know that meme that says at what age does this cute little baby become a threat, you know? And it shows like the picture of the black baby, and you know, like at what age do they become a threat? And so my son, he's 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 nine, but he's tall. He has yeah. a he has an 11 or 12 year old cousin and he's taller than him, you know? And so ever since he was little, folks always expected more of him because he looked older. Like he was five. Why is he crying? Because he's five. Like, you know, but he's he's like blending in with the eight year olds, you know? So they're trying to figure out why he's crying. So I, I do worry about people thinking he's more mature than he is. And, you know, as a black man, that means something else when you start entering, you know, the teenage realm and all that and, you know, all the judgment and all that. So um, my husband has conversations with him about it, um, frankly, now. Yeah. When I when I used to coach uh, football, flag football, I had a kid that was 12 and he looked like a grown man. Uh, and yeah. I would worry about him and I still worry about him because he was as big as he was. But if you interacted with him for more than 10 seconds, you realize that he was a child. That is my he, <laughs> he, uh And sometimes they forget that. But mm-hmm. then also listen, uh, having this conversation, I was about his age the first time I got called the N-word. See. And um, we used to live, I'm from the deep country. Mm-hmm. And we used to live on a farm uh, with these people. Uh, the people that we worked for, we mm-hmm. lived on their farm, and uh, they had a kid that, oh, that would, he would be a brat. I mean, you know, we'd be playing basketball or whatever, and he'd be a brat, and one of us would end up beating him up at some point during the basketball game or whatever we were doing because it was just who he was. Uh, you know, he would take his ball and leave or whatever. But this particular day, I was the one that beat him up. And then his grandfather came running around the barn. And was like, you niggas are always starting something. And, you know, we, and we ran home, which it was across the road. And my mom was like, I told you about being over there with the white people. But then the other com- part of that conversation is there's nobody on this road but us and them. Right. What are we going to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's pretty, I mean, to, to me, that's kind of like the state of the country. It's like, it's us, like, what are, what are we going to do? Like, how are we going to figure this out? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when my, um, my younger sister, she's 10 years younger than me and she was in, um, kindergarten or was it first grade? I think it was kindergarten and a kid, another kindergartner called her the N word. Yes. And that's when you realize, you know, these parents. <laughs> it's the parents. It's not. Yeah. Sometimes. You can't. You can't. You can't. 
Sorry, I had to meet myself and tell them the rules. Understood. <laughs> um, yeah, I was. That's when you you really start realizing there's no way a kindergartner thought that up all by themselves. Like they're hearing it, you know. Yeah. So it's, it starts early, and and then that continues to grow. And that's what I'm trying to do with my books. I I tell people that my books are to spread black inspiration to all children. I spread black inspiration by tying the book back to a real person so that after the kid reads this fun story, there's a bio about this real person and they could say, oh, wow, like there's, you know, this person did that. I can do it, too, you know, and just drawing inspiration from that person. But then I say all people because I want all children, especially white, you know, Mexican Asian, the non-black children. I, I want them to also read our stories and be inspired by it too, so that they can grow up with that seed planted, knowing that black people are awesome. In fact, no matter what the media tells you or whatever you're hearing somewhere else, you don't have to believe that because you're seeing these other stories that showing you different, you know? And so that's a big thing for me. Um, and I was just about to ask you because your book series is entitled Inspired to Be. Mm-hmm. Uh, what made you come up with that title? Yeah, because um, every series, every book in the series, so is inspired by a real person. And I figure out like, what is it about that person that or their story that makes them so inspiring, right? And so each book then lends itself to um, trying to inspire them to be like that person. So inspired to be blank. It's like a dot, dot, dot. You see it like that. So like my first book is inspired by Gabby Douglas. And what I take away from Gabby Douglas is that she is talented. She's hardworking and she stayed very committing, committed to her, to her dreams, right? She had a big dream and she stayed very committed to it. So that book just is to inspire kids to dream big dreams for themselves, right? And, you know, stay committed to that. You can do anything you set your mind to. And so um, that's that inspired to be dot, dot, dot. My second book is called I Am Different. And that book is inspired by Karis Rogers. And she is the owner of the Flexin and My Complexion um, clothing line. And she's like 14, I believe now. And she actually started that clothing line when she was 10 years old. And she was on New York Fashion Week, like at 10 years old. And she started it because she used to get bullied for her skin complexion because she's dark skin. And um, her grandma always used to tell her to flex in her complexion. So she didn't let that bullying kind of get the best of her. She used that to channel something positive, right? And she created this clothing line. And so that book is to inspire kids to love themselves the way they are, no matter what anyone tells you, you know, love being different. There's always going to be some haters <laughs> pretty much. And, and, you know, that's going to want to tell you something different than what you believe about yourself. And you, it's up to you to really continue to believe yourself and draw um, strength from the people in your life who have education. education. So that's what that book is about and why, what it seeks to inspire. So each of my books seeks to inspire something in kids and it's a different thing for each book. Okay. I love it. Um, sorry. I was just making sure that we were actually at audio. <laughs> yeah. I heard a playback. Um, and so I'm working on my third book right now. It's, it's written. I wrote it actually after um, Chadwick Boseman passed away 
and it's being illustrated right now. And that book is all about superheroes and just inspiring children to appreciate, recognize and appreciate superheroes in our lives and to show up as a superhero for others. And it's kind of juxtaposing like that real like Marvel superhero with those like superhuman abilities and juxtaposing it with someone who has human abilities, powers that come from our heart, certain traits that you have, right? And how those people are actually superheroes as well. Um, so that one is coming in November twenty uh, in November on the 29th, which is Chadwick's um, birthday. So you started publishing in January of 2021? I did. Yeah. And you're going to have three books by November? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I told you, man. Like, I, I had an idea and I had a message and I wanted to get it out there as fast as possible. I could have tried to seek out, you know, traditional publishing and I didn't want to wait. I just wanted to get it out. So I chose to self-publish and just like run with it because I had the first three books written like literally within a month after I told myself I was going to write these books. I just needed to continue tweaking them and fine tuning them, but they were pretty much done. Um, and I just needed to work with an illustrator to illustrate the story. Wow. Uh, as someone who's attempted to write a book, I am impressed. <laughs> I, I have like three partly written stories. And mm -hmm. the, the idea that the fact that you, you will have three by November, I am Thank you, <laughs> man. So, uh, and you keep reminding me of why I'm doing the podcast with your answers to these questions. <laughs> Good. <laughs> because the other part of it is wanting people to understand that you pick a path, but that that path may not necessarily be the end of your journey. It could just be the beginning and it, a way to get you uh, somewhere you didn't even think that you could go. Yeah. Yeah. My my path that I was on that led me to my my uh, consulting job, which, you know, is great. And I love the work that we do there because I work in the public sector space. So, you know, government, most of my projects are government projects. You know, um, I worked on a project that helped deliver health care to all these people who couldn't have otherwise had it before. Right. I worked on a project that helped people get vaccinated, you know, like it's all meaningful projects where I see the impact of what I, the work that we're doing. Um, and it feels good to do that work. But more so, though, this this job actually created the means by which I could actually pursue my writing career because it's not cheap. Right. <laughs> and it's quite an investment and it's going to take a while before I start kind of recouping, recouping um, some of the investments that I put out there to be an author. And for me, and now I feel like I'm working two jobs and my, my day job is paying for, you know, the writing job and, you know, it's a blessing. It really is. Um, it's, it's a lot of work because now I'm doing two jobs, but it's a blessing. <laughs> and you, and your kids. Right. So that's, that's another um, amazing shout out to uh, super moms out there. Mm, yes, absolutely. One time for the super moms. <laughs> that is it. Um, so if someone who wanted to divert from their path a little bit to pursue a dream, what would you tell them? 
Oh man. So I'm not very risky. Um, I've had like other ideas of things that I wanted to do before, but I never went full fledged. Like I went with this one because, you know, um, my husband, like I said, he's an attorney, he's starting up his law practice. And so his income and he does civil rights law. So I don't know if you guys know how payments work for that. Like he's pretty much working for free until like cases settle. So, um, you know, for a while I've been like the, the stable income in, in the family. And so going after something else, I wanted to still make sure I can have the security of our, of like my income without compromising that. Um, but aside from that, once I found something that, you know, I felt like this is the right thing to do and I can do this on my own time and still have my job, you know, that was the icing on the cake. And so that was kind of what prevented me from going after other things, not knowing that I can just jump in. Like, I wish like I had some of these big ideas when I didn't have kids and a family, cause then I could just jump all the way in, but now I have responsibilities and stuff. So, you know, the hardest thing is jumping in. And so for me, being able to jump in meant that I could jump in without sacrificing my current income. But now that I'm in it, I'm actually trying to figure out how, at what point can I jump all the way in and like say, walk away from my actual job and go all the way with the author. So I'm trying to figure out how to make that happen. Cause like I said, you know, my current job is paying for my author job right now. So I'm hopeful that one day I'll be able to say, you know, I can work less and less in my day job and more and more of my, you know, my author job so that where I can still earn a living for me and my family. Um, I don't know if I answered that question completely, but that's my my take is I needed the security. But once I decided to do it, I was I was all in. You know, I was all in. There are no wrong answers. Right. Uh, because, I again, I want people to understand that there are different paths to get to where they want to go. So any answer that you give me is a good is a right answer. Hold on one second. I'm getting called. Uh oh. So this is a very real mom moment. I have to go wipe my son's butt. He went use the potty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so wait. So we'll pause that for a minute. Uh, tell you something different than what you believe about yourself. So how are my folks out there that are paying attention today? Oh, she's back. That was cool. I did not intend to have this many interruptions today. My schedule, you know, my husband ended up not being here. And I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, that's look, that is what going live is. <laughs> <laughs> This there's is as always, as it gets. <laughs> it is, there's always a possibility that something is going to come up, especially yeah. when you got two kids at the house. You know, and sometimes we strive for perfection. Like if we're doing an interview, we want it to be perfect. Um, I, I did an interview at my house last week um, for like an actual news um, program. Um, it was on Spectrum News in LA. It actually aired yesterday or the day before yesterday. And she wanted to do the interview at home. And I was really scared about that because I knew my kids were going to be here and I can't control them necessarily, right? Like I can't right. predict, is it going to be a good day for them or a bad day? Um, but she really wanted that. And so we, she came over 
And, you know, right before the doorbell rang, my, my three-year-old was sitting on the couch with me and he was like just cuddling with me. My, my nine-year-old was upstairs watching TV. The minute that doorbell rang, everything changed. My, oh, yeah. my three-year-old got a burst of energy. <laughs> you know, he was just running around the circles like a crazy person. Long story short, I thought that interview was horrible because they were being like just not the best behaved children, right? And they were being kind of distracting, like it was hard for me to focus and answer questions, things were falling down. And eventually we had to excuse them for a little bit so I can actually answer some questions. And then we brought them back later and kind of put them, you know, you know, did things with them. Um, but I was looking at the footage of it, like the actual story, and you couldn't even tell that a lot of that was going on. But I was curious as to why did she select certain clips to put in there? She had a clip of me picking up pillows off the floor after my little one had thrown them on the floor. Like a random clip of me just picking up pillows. There was a clip of my eight-year-old, my nine-year-old rolling on the floor. And I'm like, you know what? Like, I, I think it's important. I think she thought it was important for people to see like, this author, this um, engineer, like she's also a mom, mommy, right? So it's mommy, not going to be perfect. Mommy, and so she chose to mommy, keep- Mommy, my tail's not dead. Okay, baby. So she chose to keep those parts in the, in the interview, in the story. And, you know, I can appreciate that because we do strive. I was like, oh my gosh, that was the worst interview ever. And I, I wanted it to be perfect because it's like getting my story out there and I wanted it to be perfect. And I didn't think it was, but it actually ended up being perfect just the way it was, you know? So yeah, we don't always have to strive for, um, for perfection. Yeah. Because you don't want, you know, I don't want to give people an unrealistic expectation of what's going to happen. Like, right. you know, you're an engineer, but you're a mom. So you, therefore you're going to have mom things going on. Right. You're an author and the an engineer, but you're still a mom and you're still going to have mom things going on. Right. And, and, you know, and, if you presented it to them like that stuff wasn't going on, it might actually dissuade them from doing it because they might think that those things would limit them in being able to do it. Where with you actually having those things going on and still pursuing your two passions yeah. would show them that, oh, I can still do that with that. that, that yes, happens. yes. And I think that's where the um, journalist was coming from. I wasn't even, because I kept apologizing to my kids. And she's like, no, they're great. It's fine. I'm like, now I see why you thought they were great. Because this is what you were looking for, that real life <laughs> situation. <Yeah. laughs> you, you know how you know how our parents were. <laughs> and you know what I mean when <laughs> right. I say our parents were. Like, right. <laughs> companies coming over. You better go sit in that corner and do not move until I tell you to. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like a failure as a mom because my kids don't respond the way I used to respond. I'm like, man, like my husband and I look at ourselves like we could never do that when we were growing up. How come we're letting them do it? <laughs> exactly. And the other thing was to keep from us having to do that was they would send us outside. Right. So, you know, like companies coming over, you be in the house long enough to say hi to them and then get your butt out the house. Go, go. Then you, <laughs> grown folks I talking. These kids outside of the Sacramento heat, okay? Yeah, it's like grown <laughs> folks talking, get out. Yeah. I, look, I'm from North Carolina. We had 100 degrees with 150% humidity when I was a kid. Ooh, wee. <laughs> look, and still don't come back until the street light come on. Go outside. Oh. Go outside. 
Like it's hot. I'm melting. I don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Get out. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> so where are you from? Oh, uh, you hear the accent. <laughs> um, I'm originally from Trinidad. Trinidad and Tobago. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I moved to the States when I was twelve. And um, you know, my most of my family's still in Trinidad, so I try to go back um often so my kids can, you know, meet their cousins that are there and stuff. But yeah, it's been, I'm what, 34 now. So it's been most of my life that I've been, that I've been here now. Okay. Uh, and so your parents were probably really, uh, hard work was a thing, but education was the thing. Yeah. Um, I think that's just an immigrant thing, man. Education is like so important. Um, my mom, you know, she didn't go very far with her education, but she always had those high expectations of us um, as it came to education. Um, and that's just like parents, that's their responsibility. Like we're not, they're not setting the standards where at their achievements, right? They want you to be better than them at all costs, right? So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have that conversation with, uh, I, I'm on another podcast and I have that conversation with uh the guys up there and I'm like, look, I at like I grew up working in the fields. Uh like my family worked in uh fields and factories and I don't think that that's what they wanted for us. Right. You know, I have a niece now that's a doctor. Uh we have people that we have chemists in the family. Wow. And uh, engineers. Engineers. Um so one of my brothers keeps turning down the running the whole factory that he works at. <laughs> Why he don't want to do it? <laughs> don't ask me. But we have this we have that conversation every time I talk to him. I'm like, you know, they want you to run the thing, and he's like, I ain't gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it, it's they didn't want they wanted more for us than what they had. Yeah, uh, and you know, but. The thing that we do sometimes is we forget what it took for us to get to where we are. And Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily instill that in our kids as much as we should. So, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes if you, uh, as I told my brother, who's a police officer, like if you make the road too smooth or the surface too smooth, they might just slide off the edge because they don't have anything to to ground them. That's a big thing of concern for my husband and I, because it's like, you don't want it to be as hard for them as it was for you. Cause that was the whole reason you worked hard, but at the same time, you don't want them taking stuff for granted, you know, and just yeah. you know, out here wilding and just, you know, thinking that everything's given, you know, and they can just rule the world. So it, it is a, I think this generation of people and parents, you know, where, you know, you have a whole bunch of first generation college graduates and stuff black, that are black. And so we're going on and getting very, you know, good jobs. And our kids aren't having to struggle the way we saw our parents struggle when we were growing up. And so we all are faced with that. Like, we want to give our kids a good life, but we also want our kids to have peace of what we had, that grit, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. So, yeah, I agree for sure. And I think a lot of people can relate to that in, in like our generation. Yeah. So, man, we're we started a little late, but 
I could talk all day. At the end, feel like a pot, like an interview. I feel like we're just talking. But that is the whole purpose. (laughs) I never wanted to feel like an interview. I want it to be a conversation. I want you to feel like we've been hanging out since we were ten. And I used to pull your braids in in school. (laughs) I wanted to be just like that. That's how it feels. So good job. Um, So we're at the end of the show now. So here's your chance to do a Christelle Patterson inspired to be commercial. So tell the people where they can find you. uh, Remind them of your books, where your social media, all of that stuff. Okay. So since you said commercial, I felt like pressure. Um, So yes, um, Christelle Patterson here, the author of the Inspired to Be book series. Um, The book series seeks to spread Black inspiration to all children. And right now there are two books in the series, but there will be many more to come. You can find them actually now mostly where... all all books are are sold at major bookstores um, online. So I found out that they're on Barnes and Noble's website now. They're actually at Target and of course, Amazon. I sell them on my website as well um, because I like to offer the option if people want a signed book. Um, So if you are interested in that, you can get them on my website. So my website is christellepatterson.com. It's just my name. And um, follow me on Instagram, inspired to be underscore CP. And on Facebook, inspired to be dot CP. And what else is there? I mean, this <laughs> is Christelle spelled with an E. It is, yes. C R Y S T E L Patterson. Um, two T's <laughs> and an O, not an E at the end. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that's 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 uh, where you can find me. Um, my actually, my if you go and follow me on Instagram, I have a link tree on my bio, and that has everything on there. It even lists out where because I've been trying very hard to get my books into a lot of local bookstores and local bookstores. It's hard for them to take on self-published authors because it's kind of risky. People aren't rushing to get our books, you know. And so um, there have been several local bookstores from the Bay Area to Sacramento that have agreed to carry my book. So please do support your local bookstores. If you are one of those people that like to go out to the bookstores and flip through a book, definitely check out uh, my link tree. I have all the stores listed where you can find my books and hopefully there's one near you. Okay. And I also noticed that you've been doing a lot of events. So what events do you have coming up? Uh, Yeah. So this weekend I'm going to be in um, Oakland at the Lake Merritt. Um, There's an event there all day, lots of vendors. So I'm going to be there. And then um, I feel like I have something else coming up, but I can't um, quite remember. I've been taking a break because there was some weekends where I was like working so hard every every day of the weekend. Oh, and then um, the following weekend, um, second the second Saturday, I'm gonna be at the um, the Florin Road Marketplace over there for second Saturday. Yeah, so like something different they do the african marketplace on the first and third saturday there's a second saturday which is like same place but different ran by different people okay uh-huh so that's the that's what i'm doing um and yeah that's pretty much it for this month i'm trying to make sure i balance my schedule so my kids get some of me on the weekends as well and i'm not <laughs> all over the place 
overstood. Oh, and one other thing I will say, the Exploratorium, the San Francisco Explorium, Exploratorium, actually that will happen today and I realized I missed it. <laughs> so never mind. I was thinking it was tomorrow, but they actually did a book reading of my book and it was like a fun little activity for younger kids where they got to um, do something interactive, build something. I can't remember what it was, but I had a meeting and I completely forgot about it. So never mind. But yeah, so those are the events that are coming up. Okay. So thank you for joining me this week, Miss Christelle Patterson, uh, children's author. You have inspired me today. Thank uh, you. I'm That's actually... what my brand is all about. I just want to inspire people. So. Whether it's from the stories that I'm telling or if I can be an inspiration with my own story, that's that's my if I've done that, I feel very proud. Well, you have done that uh, for me and hopefully for somebody else who who's paying it, who's watching or will listen uh, in the future. Uh, the podcast is also on Spotify. Uh, so I'll send you the link after we finish. Uh, thanks again for joining me. I'm out of Nate out of Darling New Media Studios in Sacramento. Uh, thank you, Nate, for the use of the, the facilities. Um, I would thank my buddy Kevin Fontana, who helped me do the outgoing music, but we're not hearing that this week, so I'll thank you next week, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, been great. Thank you for having me. And I will see you soon. This has been Reclaiming the Image of Black. We are not a monolith, but we are one. I will see you guys next week. Yes.